0: But James chapter 4, we're going to jump into this passage. Before we do, we, we kind of have to set the stage, and Charles did a great job last week. Uh, I was out—actually, uh, I took my, my sons, Jonathan and Nicholas, and my daughter, Natalie, and uh, we went out and we spent a few days out in the in the West and had a little vacation. My wife didn't go. I, there was no problems. Just want to make sure you know. Uh, she just—her parents were here because of my daughter's wedding, and, and so uh, they were still here, but we just got away for a few days, but Charles did an amazing job of walking us through James chapter 3, and uh, today, before we can jump into James chapter 4, we actually do have to kind of, just kind of hit rewind and go back a little bit in James chapter 3, and I just want to read a couple of verses from, uh, to you. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read James chapter 3, verse 13 and following. It says, "...who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth." This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, the reason I want to read that passage to you up front before we jump into James chapter 4 is that it is indeed a picture that sets the stage for what we're going to talk about. Now, it also is a picture of the world in which we live, isn't it? That talk about envy and conceit and, and self-seeking, self-serving. Man, that is exactly where we are today, which, by the way, is what James 4 is all about. James 4 gives us a very clear picture, uh, kind of walking us through the right kind of heart, the right kind of attitude, the right things that we need to be thinking about, dreaming about, p- passionate about, as it relates to God's Word, God's plan, God's heart for His church. And so uh, I wanted to set the stage, share that with you this morning before we jump into uh, the first part uh, of this passage in James chapter 4, because what James chapter 3 does is it kind of delineates, it gives you two different pictures here uh, in the last part of James chapter 3 of the different types of life. It talks about the life of envy and and self-seeking and self-serving and deceit and conceited, all those kinds of things. And then it talks about the things that are pure, the things that are peaceable, the things that are focused on God. And then, right into James chapter 4, right into the first part of this passage then, it begins to talk about setting the stage of what we must do in the change of heart, the change of attitude. So let's just jump right in and let's talk about uh, this, because right up front in James chapter 4, after walking through, remember now, the book of James, like all Bible passages, all scriptures, all books that are found in God's Word, the writers didn't sit there and put the numbers there. They didn't separate chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3, that was done much later. They wrote this as one continual text, one continual draft. And so, knowing what we just read in James chapter 3, James chapter 4, here's what he says. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that are war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, these first four verses in James chapter 4 simply tell us very clearly what the real issue is in our lives today, in our culture today, in in the problems that we face. The real issue, and it's a four-letter word, it's the word self self is the great problem in our culture today everything that we see in our culture everything that we see in the context of all the 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 conflicts and the problems and the challenges and the heartaches and the heartbreaks it all comes from it flows from one simple statement that we are more worried about self than we are worried about others now isn't that true and we see the world today When you see all the things that are happening around us, it's so clear, it's so obvious that the problems that we have today are because we worry more about our own needs, our own desires, our own uh, passions, our own heart, rather than we care about the things of God, the things of others. It's an interesting statement, I found a quote this week from J. A. Motyer who said this, the channels of communication with God and of supply from God have become blocked. We find that the unfettered flow of prayer upwards and of response downwards is no longer operating. We are somehow out of sorts with God. And then he wrote it this way, the passions are at work again. We want it all for self. Now go back into this passage we just read a moment ago. Where do all the wars and all the fights come from? It comes from when we desire things for ourselves, what we want, and that we're the only thing that matters. What I want is more important than anything or anyone else, and that's where conflict comes from. It goes on to talk about our prayers. Look what it says in, uh, in verse four. Do you not know, and I'm sorry, in verse, uh, in, in verse, verse three, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now listen, we all know that prayer is powerful, right? You understand that? Everybody understand that? If you understand it, raise your hand. I did that to see if you're awake. Yeah, we know that prayer is important. In fact, James chapter 5, we're going to get to next week, it talks about the power of prayer. Prayer is an important element, an important key of our walk with God. We know that it's a relationship, it's a conversation with God. It is how we talk with Him. It's how He talks to us. It's how He leads us, how He guides us. It is the path that God has prepared for us to come to Him when our hearts are broken and when we are looking for help. When we're looking for uh, the desires, the needs that we have to make it through each and every day, and yet every single one of us in this room have come to a place in our lives where we wondered, why didn't God answer that prayer? Have you ever been there? Why didn't God answer this prayer? Why didn't God provide this need? Why didn't God do what I wanted Him to do? Let me read verse 3 again. Verse 3, you ask and you do not receive, because you ask In other words, what it's saying is just simply this, you ask for things from God, but sometimes you don't receive that which you've asked from God, not because God doesn't want to bless us, but because we're asking for the wrong reasons. We're asking because we want to fulfill our own desires and our own needs that don't line up with the will of God. Now, oftentimes as a pastor I have the privilege and the opportunity of, of sitting with someone who's very sick. Someone who maybe doctors have given not a lot of hope to, and I have the opportunity of sitting down with them and praying with them and talking with them, and praying for healing. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying for physical, personal healing on this world. Again, we're going to talk about it, James chapter 5 next week. Praying for healing absolutely is a very real and a very important part of our faith walk and our faith journey. But sometimes God does not heal the way that we ask. And so I have the opportunity sometimes of sharing with them kind of the context, the idea of how God answers prayer. Sometimes God answers the way we want Him to. Sometimes God answers in a totally different, but always in a better way. But you see, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we're asking for the wrong reasons. You've maybe heard me share it before. When I was a little kid, I used to pray that God would give me a Lamborghini. And man, I pray God I want. when I get older, I want a Lamborghini. That was a prayer, a legitimate prayer from a little kid. I don't know how old I was, like seven, eight years old. and I would pray that God would one day give me a Lamborghini when I grew up to be like, you know, 16, 17 years old. Uh, God's never given me that Lamborghini, and I can guarantee you that I will never get that Lamborghini. I did have someone in the church here when I talked about that, I mentioned that a while, a few years ago, and the next week they actually brought in a little box of little die-cast metal Lamborghini They said, you finally got it, congratulations, you know, that's awesome. But I was asking not because it lined up with God's will, I was asking because that's just something I wanted. And oftentimes we ask God for things that we want, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing, but sometimes it doesn't line up with God's will. But sometimes we ask out of a wrong kind of heart. We ask with the wrong motive. We ask mainly because we want it to be about us. And so God's Word is clear here. The real issue, the real problem here is that it's, it's all about self. That our today, our, our main problem in life today comes from misplaced priorities and desires. You see, our focus, our heart, our desire should be for God's best, not the world's best. And let's be honest, oftentimes we get those mixed up, don't we? We look at what the world says is awesome. We look at what the world says is great. We look at what the world says is the best thing. And that's what we want. But you see, the world's best is nowhere near as good as God's best. And that's what our heart has to be. Because every time that we have a misplaced priority, every time that our our, our passion and our hearts are are in in alignment with the world rather than in alignment with God, here's what it's rooted in. Another quick, simple word that we all understand. This one's a five-letter word. It's the word pride. So, let's keep reading this passage to find a solution to pride. The solution to pride, verses 5 and following. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace? Therefore, he says, God, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, verse 5 in this passage is an often misunderstood verse. People don't really understand what it talks about when it talks about that the Spirit of God is is jealous, that He dwells in us and and He yearns jealously. What that really means is, is that God's heart and God's desire is that the Holy Spirit of God would dwell within us, but also would be our guide, would lead us. You see, that's the reason God sent the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was ascending into heaven, Jesus said, I pray that the Father, my Father, God would send another alongside as a comforter, as a guide, as a, as a conscience for us to lead us in every situation and every day of our lives. And so that's what the Holy Spirit of God is, to come alongside and to lead us and to guide us. And it goes on to say that if we allow that to happen, if we allow the Holy Spirit of God to be our guide, what's naturally going to happen is that God is going to connect with us. So it says, submit God. Daniel, Donald Burdick said it this way. Submission to God is not the same as obedience. Instead, it is the surrender of one's will which leads to obedience. So in other words, simply like just doing you know, whatever it is that God's Word says, that's obedience and that's great. But it is only when we get ourselves to the place where we are submitting to the will of God, submitting to the leading, the guidance, of the Holy Spirit of God that is with us, that is what eventually leads to the kind of obedience that God desires and God hopes for each and every one of us. And that's the solution to pride. This passage tells us. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But then, very clearly, it tells us that we must humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Why? Because God does not care for, desire, want to have anything to do with a prideful heart. God resists the proud. Man, we see that so often in our culture today pride is rampant, not only in the world, pride is rampant in the church. Pride is rampant in people who follow Christ. And when pride is present, I can guarantee you, God will not show up into His greatest work in your life. And so understand that if you're a person who's really kind of all about self, if you're a person who is kind of driven by arrogance and driven by pride and driven by your, your selfish desire, selfish ambition, know this. Just be, I'm being honest with you. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. God is going to resist you. Now, that does not mean that you're going to lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that God is going to cast you aside and, you know, when you come to the place where you, you know, you lay down, when you die in this earth, in this physical body that we're in, it doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that God will resist you as you walk this journey, as you walk this thing called life. And I don't know about you. But I don't want to spend one day on this earth where God is resisting me, pulling away from me, staying away from me because of my actions and my pride. Do you? I mean, is that what you want to live? Is that how you want to live? The answer, I hope, is no. I mean, we want to live our lives where God is drawing near to us. And so how do we get that? Very clearly told. Draw near to Him. You cannot draw near to God if you're an arrogant person. You cannot draw near to God if you're driven by pride. You cannot draw near to God if it's all about you. You've heard me say it, I'll say it again. If it's all about you, it's all about over. We've got to focus on making it about God and His will for our lives, the solution to pride. And so that that solution very clearly tells us, man, draw near to Him, pursue holiness, do what is right, hate sin. And when you do that, it creates in us the right attitude. And the right attitude, let's keep reading, James chapter 4 verse 11 and following. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But it goes on to tell us, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Man what a powerful statement, because you know what we naturally do as human beings? We naturally are inclined to judge others. We do it all the time, don't we? We judge people when we watch the news. We judge people when we're driving down the street and someone cuts us off, right? Am I right about that? We judge people when we're sitting in a situation, I see people laughing, back. It must have kind of hit home there, right? A little personal. Uh, we judge people when maybe we're sitting in a restaurant and they, maybe the, the server doesn't exactly get that order correctly we judge people when we see people who disagree with us politically disagree with us in in the culture in which we live we judge people and here's what god's word very clearly tells us don't judge others Don't speak evil of one another. So, the first step towards right living is that we must treat others well. That's why Jesus said, love God and love people, right? Remember, when Jesus was asked, the most important statement, the most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourselves. God clearly told us that our duty and our responsibility is not to judge others, not to look down on others, not to treat others badly, Our responsibility is to love, and it's only when we get that right that we begin to see God do His greatest work in us. That's why you've heard me say it a thousand times. I almost feel like I say it too much, but I guess if it lines up with God's Word, you can't say it too much. That's why it drives me crazy when I see Christians attacking other people. That's why it drives me nuts when I see Christians attacking people over this issue or that issue or this political statement or that political. It drives me nuts because it's not our job to judge. We have the ability as followers of Christ to have an opinion. We, as followers of Christ, have the ability to have political choices and and decisions and and, and alignment. We, We have the right to have all of those things, and it's important we should. We should vote. We should do all the things that as good citizens, we should absolutely do. We do not have the right to criticize and speak evil of others just because they disagree with us, even if we're right. You see, we can love those who disagree with us. We can love those who are wrong. We can love those who are completely messed up. We can love those who are doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. We should love them. Why? Because it is only through loving them that we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And isn't that our ultimate goal? Isn't that what God has called us to do? Isn't that what we should be focused on and all about, is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, I hope that's your heart. I hope that's your passion. That's why this church exists. It's why I hope every church in our community and across the world exists. It's not simply to have a place to gather on Sunday mornings. It is to convey the love of Jesus Christ so that we can reach the world for Jesus Christ so that people will know what we know is that God loves them and Christ died for them and that He was buried for them and that He came back to life for them so that we can live with hope. And so we've got to focus on the right things. It is not our job to attack or to vilify or to condemn others. It is our job to love. So let me just ask you just a quick uh, kind of assessment question here. How are you doing with that? How are you loving others? As I look back over the last seven days uh, of my life, and I ask myself the question, so how have I done this week in loving others? I could probably point you to a few moments, a few times in the last week where I I didn't do things the right way. I could probably point out some things if I really spent some time thinking about it where maybe I didn't love others the way that I should have loved others. Um, One of them took place just a couple of nights ago when I was uh, about 11 o'clock at night when I was driving home and and, and I pulled up to a stop sign and uh, I stopped and I looked both ways and then I turned right. And when I turned right, all of a sudden, I saw a car, red and blue lights behind me. And a policeman pulled me over. And this police officer walked up to the window and said, uh, do you know why I stopped you? And I said, no, no ma'am, I don't. And she said, because of the stop sign violation. And I said, well, but I stopped at that stop sign. And she said, yes, you did stop, but you stopped a little bit past the line. I gotta be honest with you. I did not feel like loving right then when she wrote me a ticket for stopping just in front of the line. I did not feel like loving then. But it's in those moments that we actually are tested the most. It's in those moments where we have the opportunity of doing what our flesh wants us to do, and that's to say you're crazy. I guess I shouldn't have said that either. Um, Or, or we do what God wants us to do, and we just simply love the way that God intends for us to love. Man, that's what we've got to do. That's what we have to live. That's how we have to treat others. We have to treat them well because that's what Jesus told us to do. So what is our proper focus? James chapter four, this entire passage, this entire chapter out of this book, more than really all the other uh, four chapters within uh, this book of, of the total five, James chapter four clearly tells us what our proper focus should be. Listen to what it says here. James chapter four, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city and spend a a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance— all such boasting is evil, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, do it. To him it is sin. Here's where these verses really kind of comes down to. It just kind of summarizes it all down to one quick statement. Here's what it says: Focus your heart on today, and focus your heart on what's right. That's really what it comes down to. Focus your heart on today, and focus your heart on what is right. In that last verse where it tells us to, to those who know to do right, those who know to do good, and they don't do it, it is sin. So in other words, when you know to treat others well and you don't do it, guess what that is? Say it with me. It's sin. When you know to love others when they're not very lovely, when they're not very, you know, not doing the right things, when they're the kind of people you really don't want to love at all and you don't love them, guess what that is? It's sin. It's sin when you have the opportunity of either blessing someone or not blessing them and you treat them badly, that's sin. And sin will always keep you from the presence of God. Remember what it said a few minutes ago in that verse? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. When you do not love others the right way, when you treat others the wrong way, when you are not being a representative of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what you're doing. You are living in sin. And whether it's on a street corner, or whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in your own home, whether it's on Facebook, wherever it might be, when you are not doing the right thing, it is sin. And so what are the wrong things? Man, don't judge. Don't do evil. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't let it all be about you. Don't focus on what's good for self. Focus on what's good for God's plan and God's will, what's good for others. Love others with the kind of heart that God loves them. And we know how much God loves the world, right? John 3, 16, you know how much God loves the world, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I don't know about you, but there's probably no way to describe in more powerful statement, powerful detail, than that level of love that someone would literally give their own son to die for others. The Bible says there is no greater love than one would lay down his life for another, right? Right? And so we know how God loves. So the big question for today is, so how are you loving? How are you loving others? How are you loving others that you like? And how are you loving others that you don't like? How are you loving those that are in your own household? How are you loving those that maybe you don't want to spend a moment with, that you don't want to be around? How are you loving those who disagree with you completely? How are you loving those that honestly get on your nerves? And we all have those too, don't we? How are you loving? Because guys, if we can get that right, if we can figure that out, if we can come up with the right plan the, the right path that allows us to love others the way God loves them, if we can figure out the right plan to get away from it being all about me and, and focus on God's plan and God's will and God's desire… If we can get away from it being about, you know, pride, if we can get away from being about like, what's good for me, and get back to focusing on what God has called us to do, and that is to reach the world with the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we can do that, man, this world's going to be a so much better place to live. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of world I want to live in. I, I know, listen, I mess up just like you do. I know there are moments in, in, in our journey where, man, it, it's a struggle and it's a challenge, but it's worth it. Because the more we draw near to God, the God of the universe, the God who created all, the God who's all-powerful, the God who's all-loving, the God who, who can provide all of our needs according to, to, to His riches in Christ Jesus, that God, the more we draw near to Him, the more He'll draw near to us. And that is the kind of life that James in in this writing wants us to experience. And so today, when you leave here, ask yourself, how can I do better at that? How can I do better at not judging? How can I do better at loving? How can I do better at not being about self? How can I do better about not being uh, arrogant? How can I do better about walking away from pride? How can I do better? about connecting to God more today than I did yesterday. And if you can answer those questions right, and you can figure out how to do it according to His Word, I promise you this week, I'll make you a promise. I guarantee you, if you can figure that out, and if you begin to do it, this coming week will be far greater than last week. The coming month will be far greater than the last month. And and this next year will be far greater than the last. Does it mean you'll be free from problems? Nope. Does it mean you won't have any more conflict? No, because guess what? There are still other people in the world who won't figure it out. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that every moment of every day, here's what you'll experience. You will experience the closeness, the, the proximity of a powerful God who loves and who serves and who gives. And you will experience that day in and day out. And I promise you, it will give you hope beyond anything you could ever possibly imagine. That is what God desires for you. And so let's, today, let's just decide, how are we going to do it? What are we going to do to figure out how we can draw near to God and watch Him draw near to us? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for the way that it speaks to us. God, I know that today there are people in this room who struggle with the things we've talked about, because I know that I struggle with it. And so God, I just pray You give us wisdom. Lord, give us clarity. Give us hope. Give us understanding. Lord, so that we would know how we can truly love others, how we can truly draw near to you, how we can truly do the things that that matter to you to focus on the things that matter to God rather than the things that matter to self. And God, I pray that you just give us that wisdom on how to do that. And Lord, if we will, I know you're good for your word. You promise, God, that you will give to us, Lord, an overabundance of your presence and your joy. And God, that's what we desire. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, today I just... I want to ask you a clear question, because everything we've talked about today, it hinges on one very important truth. It hinges on your relationship with that God. When we say draw near to God, that's a great statement, it's a great promise, it's a great hope, but let's be honest, it is impossible to draw near to God unless we draw near to God through His Son, Jesus. You see, Jesus died for our sins. He was sent by God to do that. He paid for our sins that we could not have paid for, and He was buried And then the third day, he walked out of that tomb. And by coming back to life, by that miraculous moment of resurrection, it gives us the hope that we need to make it. And so today, according to God's Word, all we must do is believe that Jesus did what the Word says that he did. That he is who the Word says that he is. And if you've not done that, I'm going to lead to just a quick, simple prayer. And today, if you want to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior by believing that He is God's Son, that He died, that He rose again, I just want you to pray this prayer silently with me. Father, thank You for loving me. And thank You that You gave Your Son Jesus to die for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the one who can save. So I believe that He's Your Son. I believe that He died and that He rose again. Forgive me of my sins, Father. And save me today through your son, Jesus. Help me to live for you for the rest of my life as you give me the power to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer in a moment, uh, as Charles and the team come back and lead us in worship, I encourage you to just step out, to come down to this altar, and our team is gonna be gathered just over to my left, your right. Today, if you have a spiritual need, a challenge, something you want to be prayed with about. Our team is here. they love to pray with you. If you've got a need that you just need some guidance, some wisdom on how to navigate these things called life, our team is here. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If you're watching right now and you also prayed that prayer, you want to know what does it mean and how do I begin this life, I just encourage you to call me or or to write me an email at pastor at our team would love to follow up with you, and to talk with you, to share with you what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift we have. What an amazing hope. What an amazing promise that we have through who Jesus is and through what Jesus has done. Let's stand together and worship as we leave today. Sim to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.